Until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. That proverb comes from Zimbabwe, and that's where we'll be traveling today, to the ruins of a once great capital city. The capital city of an African empire called the Kingdom of Zimbabwe that existed from the 9th to the 15th century. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're taking you to the towering ruins of Great Zimbabwe to explore this ancient economic powerhouse whose influence stretched across continents and about how a colonial empire was determined to rewrite its story. More after this. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. So the key thing about Great Zimbabwe is that um, it is um, a remarkable uh, piece of um, human genius. That's Shadrach Shirikure. He is the British Academy Global Professor of the School of Archaeology at Oxford University, which is a mouthful. Uh, He's also a native of Zimbabwe, and he works as an archaeology professor at the University of Cape Town. Basically, he's a, a really busy guy who spends a lot of his time studying ruins. Ruins that include Great Zimbabwe. Shadrick says that during its prime, Great Zimbabwe had a lot going for it economically. The key thing about uh, Great Zimbabwe is uh, it has evidence of a very strong um, local uh, production base. And that is very um, important. So there is evidence of um, farming, um, cattle uh, keeping, um, the keeping of uh, sheep and goats. There is also evidence of industry. Uh, gold, um, iron working, copper working. It's important to note that Great Zimbabwe was not the entire civilization, but actually just the capital city of the Kingdom of Zimbabwe. It was an empire that covered an area about the size of Iowa. And at the height of the kingdom, Zimbabwe was a land of great wealth and architectural achievements. And Great Zimbabwe, its capital, was the cultural hub and economic center. And uh, guess what? 
what they say about Rome, that Rome was not built in one day. Yes, it applies to Great Zimbabwe. Great Zimbabwe was not built in one day. Great Zimbabwe was built over a long period, about six or 700 years, starting from 900 AD to about 1600, when the city was eventually deserted, as all empires eventually are. In the case of Great Zimbabwe, there was no one reason. One factor could have been political. Perhaps there was a political instability um, that weakened uh, the state, and then that some groups uh, broke away. Another could have been the environment. And then it is also possible that the um, environment um, had uh, deteriorated and could not support um, a large, uh, large populations. And a third factor might have just been disrupted trade routes. Uh, the world economy uh, had changed and uh, strategic advantages had shifted to, uh, to other areas. But during that middle period, when Great Zimbabwe was still being built during the height of the kingdom, they were an economic force to be reckoned with. The kingdom traded across Africa, as far north as northern Congo, which may not sound that far away, but it's 4,000 kilometers, which is essentially Boston to Las Vegas. And, and beyond inter-African trade, artifacts have been recovered in the ruins that show trade with China, India, and the Middle East. And it was this thriving economy that funded the walls of their massive capital city, of Great Zimbabwe. And these walls, they still stand today. I should stress to you just how massive they really are. So if you drive those uh, small cars, uh, such as the ones that we drive in Africa, not those big ones you drive in America, uh, you should be able to, to drive it on top of that wall, just to give you an idea of, 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 of how um, amazing uh, those uh, constructions uh, are. So building walls that in some ways, uh, in some cases, are as high as uh, 11 meters, and, 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 and at the base, um, they are around uh, uh, four meters, and then it tapers. Uh, that's the engineering uh, design so that it would not collapse. So at the top, they would be uh, two meters um, wide. The walls weren't just surrounding the city, but running all throughout it. It's estimated that the walls in Great Zimbabwe hold a million granite bricks and weigh something like 15,000 tons. According to the latest archaeology, the city was divided into three areas, the hill complex, the valley enclosures, and the great enclosures. If Great Zimbabwe were Washington, D.C., think of the hill complex as where the White House and the government were. And the valley enclosures, they would be the downtown area where the shopping and commerce happened. And then finally, the great enclosure was basically where everybody lived. At its height, Great Zimbabwe had a population of around 18,000 people, which would have been pretty bustling for the time. But it wasn't just the scale of the city that made the place special. It was also its character. Great Zimbabwe is a community of, um, of enterprising people. So when you have enterprising people, you have opportunity. So all these people, they were looking for, they were looking for opportunity. And the opportunities happened to be at, uh, at, at, at Great Zimbabwe. So that's, 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 that's one of the 
uh, most uh, most amazing things that you have this um, African uh, community that was uh, so organized um, to the extent that their economy, uh, governance systems, and international relations, and uh, they were engaging with um, everyone else. And still, we are able to see a strong signature of uh, the uh, local um, uh, production. So what we are seeing here is that uh, Great Zimbabwe managed to create opportunities for itself and also opportunities for for others. Maybe that was the American dream of that time. (laughs) Fast forward a few hundred years to the end of the 1800s, and things look remarkably different across Africa. Besides the devastating effects of the slave trade, it was also the beginning of what's called the Scramble for Africa, a period when the European powers, after exploiting the continent for its people during slavery, began to carve up Africa into colonial holdings. In 1870, only 10% of Africa was under official European control, and by 1914, it was 90%. It's also when the colonial powers, specifically the British, began to erase the history of Great Zimbabwe. One figure in particular stands out. The infamous uh, Cecil John Rhodes. Because... uh the Cecil John Rhodes British South Africa Company got um, a royal charter from um, Queen Victoria. And uh, then um, the, they had uh, what was known as the Pioneer Column. Cecil Rhodes is a name you should know, especially if you own a diamond. Rhodes founded the De Beers Diamond Firm with diamonds mined from Africa. And through his ownership of the vast majority of the world's diamonds, the De Beers firm controlled the entire diamond market until the early 21st century. Rhodes was also a critical figure in the exploitation of Southern Africa. And the Pioneer Column was essentially Rhodes' personal military force, given to him by Queen Victoria. So when they were marching, they were moving from South Africa, um, current-day South Africa, into, into what is now Zimbabwe. And they passed through, remember, they were also following the routes um, the routes that were used by the by the traders and so on, they also passed through what is now what is now Great Zimbabwe. So, as Cecil Rhodes and his army, following these old trade routes, march across Africa, they end up marching right up to the massive ruins of the long deserted Great Zimbabwe, and they're stunned. Neither Cecil Rhodes nor the other European colonizers can quite figure out who could have built these ruins. Uh, Because it's so great. It was believed that it was not built by Africans. You know, look at these Africans, really. Could they have built this? No, 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 this is not, this is not theirs. So those are falsehoods. The colonial myth that Africans couldn't create or sustain a complex and accomplished society meant that Rhodes and other colonizers literally could not, or at least would not, comprehend the idea that these walls were African in origin. What I'm saying here is that the whole narrative of Great Zimbabwe and particularly the denial of African achievement and African ability was a political decision. It was a racist decision. So that is why then um, the beginning of the colonial state and the appropriation of Great Zimbabwe they went uh, hand in hand. So 
The colonizers did what colonial powers did at the time. They looted. They dug up the ruins, damaging many of Great Zimbabwe's artifacts during the excavations, and in the process, further damaging the historical understanding of this once great civilization. Today, scholars like Professor Shirikure at Oxford are looking to understand and tell the true story of Great Zimbabwe, starting with the answer to the question of who built these great walls and the civilization they embodied. Shona people, African people, built African people, built, built Great Zimbabwe. There is a particular irony in this history, in this name. The word Zimbabwe means walls of stone in the local Shona language. And so the British were referring to the ruins by their native name, a name that they learned from the Shona people. And yet they still acted like the city's origins were somehow inexplicable. Africans always knew that it's their ancestors that built Great Zimbabwe. The problem was with the colonists. Those are the ones who were so confused, who didn't know. So when did they see the light? When did they, you know, uh, when did they smell the coffee to say, hey, 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 this is the Africans that, that did it. And let's not forget that these stories, these books, they were written and they were read in imperial centers. They were read in London, in New York, but not in any of the uh, surrounding villages. So people were not were actually, uh, I doubt that they actually knew that there were some people who were confused. <laughs> About their, own, about their own achievement. For the 19th and much of the 20th century, the ruins of Great Zimbabwe were a part of the British colony known as Rhodesia. But in 1980, when the former citizens of the colony declared their independence, they renamed the nation. The new nation was named simply Zimbabwe. Great Zimbabwe is playing a very a very, a very important, uh, a very important role because this is something that was, um, you know, taken by the colony from the Africans. So let's take it back, right? That's why if we then take the name Zimbabwe, then it means that we have taken back control of, um, you know, um, our own destiny. There's one more aspect of the Great Zimbabwe ruins that I want to leave you with. In the ruins of Great Zimbabwe, eight bird sculptures made of soapstone were found. These sculptures hold great meaning and importance to Zimbabwe. And uh, these are associated with the religion. These are also associated with, um, with the spirituality. So the spiritual health of, um, of the nation, the spiritual health of the, of the state. And seven of those birds are still held at the ruins, while one is owned by Cecil Rhodes' estate. But there's another place to see the bird. On the current Zimbabwean flag, a small soapstone bird meant to pay homage to the legacy of Great Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe was also an important symbol for African liberation during the era of decolonization, which took place from the 1950s to the 1970s. And at the Zimbabwe Independence Celebration, a reggae artist who called himself Bob Marley performed his new song, Zimbabwe, which was named after the nation. For legal reasons, I can't play it for you now. 
But that in no way stops you from going to listen to it after this episode ends. If that was something you're into. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Baudelaire Seuss. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.